Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and if you're a parakeet, you can go to hell. Joining me today <laughs> is Devendra Hardwar. Right there with you. Uh, this is why I never trust parakeets. Goddamn. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I'm Jeff Kanata, and this elaborate bird costume is merely a skin I'm wearing over my own. I knew it. <laughs> Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be discussing The Boy and the Heron, the latest and possibly final film by Hayao Miyazaki, which is out in theaters right now. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us across many platforms at the Filmcast Pod. We're on uh, TikTok at the Filmcast. And of course, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Uh, we got some what we've been watching for you today, uh, as well as uh, our weekly plugs in our main review. But first, I just want to mention the fact that The Boy and the Heron this weekend was number one Kick it at, ass. The, at the United States box office, which is remarkable. It is yeah, yeah. Miyazaki's largest box office opening ever in the United States. I never uh, thought this day would come, to be honest. So this is incredible to see. Boy yeah, and I the mean, Heron beating out Godzilla minus one. Yes. Right? So it's like <laughs> a battle of the subtitled yes. Japanese movies. That's right. Yeah. Hunger Games on there too, but yeah, um, totally. And uh, a big part of the reason why it's so successful is because there's not very other, uh, not a lot of other movies mm-hmm. out in theaters. Yeah. Like December is usually packed, guys. Usually it's Star Wars time and, you know, uh, tons of prestige movies times. It's just a really weird situation we're entering in and mm-hmm. this is a sign of it where the boy and the heron which is by all accounts a successful film making 12.8 million dollars also shout out okay. to g kids like it's i think it's g kids a good push a great cast for that dub too like i want to yeah, i want to watch yeah, the yeah. dub just to hear it to be yeah honest, i think so. we do we all do we all watch I saw the, the subtitle yeah we all saw yeah. the yeah. subtitle version but the dub has some really amazing Freaking talent robert pattinson robert pattinson as, david as Batista, the heron you yeah. know like uh it's a, a dub that's very intriguing to mm-hmm. me the movie The Boy and the Heron has an A minus cinema score. 80% of ticket buyers were between the ages of 18 and 34, which is awesome. Love, love it. it. Love it. Love the younger folks getting in on the movie theaters. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's just uh, thought it worth pausing to remark upon the fact that this is a very unique and interesting uh, week at the box office. And Devendra, I'm sure for you as a longtime Miyazaki fan, uh, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. Jeff, I believe you're also a Miyazaki fan, but I think Devendra is like hardcore. I used to um, collect like fan sub copies of the movies in the like 90s. Right. Um, Mononoke was one of my first DVDs that I ever bought. I actually bought it for one of my teachers as a gift. So it was always yeah. a subculture thing. And now it's like, yeah, it, it is fascinating to see it be a dominant. Now thing. it's mainstream. Now it is the culture. You know, it's part of the culture now, which is uh, mm-hmm. remarkable and uh, wonderful to see his work uh, be recognized by money. Uh, which is one of the only currencies we have in our society. Money and humans. <laughs> Money. Yeah. The only currency we have in our society. I said one of the only currencies. <laughs> the only way to judge the things that, that yeah. are worth anything, yeah. right? Currency. The only way we judge value. It's a currency. <laughs> well, uh, you know, you, you joke about that, but there was a new, did you guys see this new Golden Globe uh, category that was announced? I didn't uh, see so the new Golden one. Golden Globe nominations were announced uh, today. Uh, as we're recording this Monday, December 11th. And there is a new category for best uh, cinematic and box office achievement. Wow. Uh, It includes eight nominees chosen from films that achieved a box office receipt or total gross of $150 million 
uh, of which 100... It's the U1 Capitalism Award. It's the yeah. You Saved Our Industry Award <laughs> yeah. is what yeah. it is. Of which $100 million must come from the U.S. domestic box office. So that is That's the... very funny. That Amazing. is the, uh, the new category. Um, and uh, the nominees, for those who are curious, uh, for 2023, Barbie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, John Wick Chapter 4, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, Oppenheimer, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the Super Mario Brothers movie, and Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour. Uh, so it turns out that, you know, it, like one thing that's I've seen a lot uh, about, you know, there, there's this whole <laughs> exhausting dialogue when The Dark Knight came out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, or, uh, you know, a Avatar didn't win Best Picture. And and people were saying how, you know, oh, The Dark Knight should have been recognized for, for helping to. Uh, keep the industry alive and and uh, and because it's such a popular movie and uh, the rejoinder to that a lot of the times is that's what the money's for guys <laughs> that's what <laughs> that's what the, money's, what the for. money's for you made that's a billion true. dollars you don't need the awards mm -hmm. okay well the golden globes asks what if that's not the case what <laughs> if you also need the award i mean was this kind of just uh, uh created to give taylor swift another award mm -hmm. i almost wonder Perhaps. like this yeah. is the opiate of the masses award <laughs> indeed indeed anyway uh weird category weird, weird category, category. Yeah. put that out there yeah because because yes that's that's what the money's for you already have it's, made the money so. it's almost like what are we even doing with these awards shows? <laughs> it's almost like the Golden Globes is completely artistically bereft <laughs> and has no integrity worth recommending it. You know, it's almost like we shouldn't yeah. even spend any dedicate any time talking to it about it whatsoever. Perhaps. We may be artistically bankrupt, but these movies aren't bankrupt. <laughs> hey, <laughs> woo! These movies aren't financially bankrupt. Anyway, all right, that's some of what has been going on in the world. Uh, we got an email, you know, Devendra last week on the podcast was questioning the title of Godzilla Minus yes. One. You know, we got a lot of uh, messages, including from Andrew writing it to slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, actually, you know what? Uh, that is not the email that I meant to pull up. I apologize. Uh, let me pull up a different email. Screw you, Andrew. Yes. Try, try writing a more useful sorry. email next time, Andrew. Yeah, that, that, yeah thanks, Andrew. Okay, Chris <laughs> writes into slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, I wanted to quickly address Devendra's puzzlement at the minus one in the new Godzilla movie title. It gets explained in one of the Japanese language trailers for the movie. The bombing of Japan basically brought the country to zero. Utter devastation. Then, in the midst of dealing with that aftermath, Godzilla shows up to heap on even more destruction, mm. bringing Japan even below zero to minus one. So, there is okay. some meaning to be found there. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. That's a really cool explanation, cool, actually. Cool concept. Cool. cool concept, yeah. So, anyway... Uh, uh, appreciate all the email. You know, we got a few emails, some messages on social media about Godzilla minus one, and I think we will be figuring out a way to cover it uh, in the near future. It is it is one of the top three movies at the U.S. domestic box office this weekend, which is uh, again really quite remarkable. So, uh, looking forward to having an in depth conversation about that film all, with y'all. We all hope that it's uh, it does well enough to qualify for a Golden Globe. I just hope it gets that Golden Globe uh, nomination <laughs> for extraordinary cinematic achievement, uh, perhaps for a Japanese film. You know, so well, anyway. it'll be the award for best stomp in time. You know, that's the next category. <laughs> Biggest footprint. Mm. Indeed. All right, folks, we have so much to cover in what we've been watching this week. So much. All right. I want to start with Devendra this week. Sure. Devendra, you were in New York last week and you got to see, I'm very jealous. You got to see The Abyss 
in 4K, in remastered 4K. in a theater. I tried to go see this. Every theater in the Seattle area was Aww. near sold out. So I'm like, so, I'm not... some theaters did extend it into the weekend, but not mm, all. Nice. So yeah. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. It was, there's like, you know, two seats available and they're right in the front of an IMAX theater. I'm I mean, like, you I'm do not, it for the abyss. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not <laughs> doing it. But, but I'm glad you got to see it. Tell us about what it was like to watch the abyss again, Devendra. Sure. Um, I went with a uh, former guest, Mr. Anthony Ha, by the way. So that was a good time. But I was in New York for a couple of days and I was amazed I was able to just like squeeze this in at the uh, the AMC um, Empire on in Times Square, which also has one of my favorite Dolby Vision screens. So I saw it on Dolby Vision. Um, I've seen this movie before in like a ratty print like five or six years ago at the Nighthawk Cinema in Williamsburg. And you could tell like that print was just running since the first day that movie came out you know like it all the gunk was on the screen this remaster um i think it mostly looks good there are some shots that i think are just like even james cameron himself could not save um the <laughs> slight spoilers for the abyss but there, there's like a shot of some a ship towards the end of the movie that is a big wide shot and it looks like it is covered in vaseline and rendered in like 240p you know, because this movie was made in 1989 and some of the sequences uh, only existed in the special edition. And I'm not sure when those special effects were rendered. So it is a really good looking uh, re-release most of the time. Like I, it is not too clean. It's not too like it doesn't like erase the character of the movie. Um, this is also the special edition. So you have the extra long ending, which I, you know, I know some people are not fans of. Um, I could tell I was in a full theater. Um, some people had never seen the movie before, so a lot of them felt like, you know, the movie just kept going and going and going. And I think the special edition ending is just a little too long. Um, but no, it's a great presentation. Still a great movie. It was fantastic to see this thing with the crowd to to react to some of the key sequences. Like, man, it's one of the most claustrophobic movies ever made. And I was sitting there in a theater. I also had my mask on, which I try to do in crowded spaces still. And I just it started to affect me. In a way, too, because so many scenes wow. are people in the submarine, right? And water's rushing in. They're, like, trying to breathe. And then by the end, the third act is just, like, several sequences of just, like, well, you better hold your breath. Otherwise, you will die. You know? <laughs> in fact, uh, the the core conflict, like, when somebody has to die to survive at the end of the movie, actually. And um, all that stuff, just, like, I really felt it. So that was just me going into this. And it was also the end of a very long day. But what a claustrophobic movie what a what a great um lesson intention and it's just tremendous i love this movie um i don't like everything about the special edition ending but i'm really glad this re-release got out there and yeah looking forward to owning this disc it's great awesome i'm so psyched about this uh it's one of my favorite james cameron films and uh i i think there's a whole like generation of people that haven't seen this film that's right? what it because, was like it was yeah. people just going there and seeing it for the first time and that felt great to yeah, be in the theater was there and any like audible audience yeah. reaction to stuff right because because there's stuff that still looks really cool well, in that movie to this there's day them, right? uh you know ed harris escaping uh down one of the hatches when water's pouring in and his wedding ring is very important right yeah and people just like freaked out a they little bit. yeah they they're like yes oh, oh my god amazing. like yeah i, I know um, exactly what moment you're talking about it's, yeah it's really amazing and there, yeah. there's a lot of like um I, I think younger audiences also tend to laugh and maybe uh, heckle a bit older films <laughs> and there are things in this movie that aren't great like the just the the level of sexism that was just like very casual mm -hmm. in the late 80s and early 90s like um you know it, it's just the way people talk about like the one woman going into the crew. Uh, they call her a stone cold bitch. And it's just like a fun, a fun way. That's just how we talk about people. Um, 
that stuff does not age well. There's stuff towards the end too that just involves him slapping that made people laugh because it's a very dramatic moment, but also it doesn't look great today, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, um, yeah, so that stuff, people that. were reacting to it. Yeah. 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 Like I think there is this kind of ironic detachment that a lot of Gen Z has to many of the many older. I mean, films, listen, even you know? before Gen Z was going to theaters by themselves, like the millennial hipsters, I heard it too. Sure, in New York, yeah, so yeah, yeah, sure. It is just uh, let's a, not blame Gen Z gap. for everything. You're right, you're right. Uh, but yes, they learned yes. it from us. Okay? <laughs> Fair, and I could totally see some of the things not aging well in that film. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. certainly uh, so aged better than True Lies. I'll put you put it that way. True Lies is that's gonna be pretty rough. pretty rough. I mean, I I love that movie. I had a great time watching it's that a movie. Ton of but fun, is, but also, but it is it, that relationship is what you would describe as toxic uh, <laughs> yeah. in today's day and age. So anyway. Evil brown terrorists, you know, yeah, that movie has it all. Yeah, yeah. The Abyss, 4K. It was out in theaters for one day. Devendra saw it. It'll be out, I think, in on VOD by end of year and then in on Blu-ray and 4K uh, later in 2024. So mm-hmm. that's something Devendra Hardware has been watching. I want to talk about Leave the World Behind. This is a Netflix original movie with an amazing cast, Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, uh, Mahershala Ali. It is uh, directed by Sam Esmail. Love him. Yes. Uh, and it is based off of the book by, I want to say, uh, Ruman Alam. He wrote a novel called Leave the World Behind that was a big hit in 2020. Uh, and this is a movie based off of it. And I got to say, I... Uh, I didn't love this one. I didn't love it, and I really wanted to because there's a, a lot of stuff that is, makes it worth recommending. First of all, Sam Esmail, mm-hmm. uh, really great director at creating suspense, creating tension. Has uh, a great eye. Like, great I love eye. the way he frames things. Really yeah. atypical camera choices in mm-hmm. this film. I, I love the camera work. Some people find the camera work extremely distracting uh, in a movie like this because he's using all these unconventional camera angles. Like, uh, shooting characters from above or mm-hmm. really dynamic movements using like a techno crane or some motion controlled rig to He make... almost always makes you aware of the camera is right. the thing. That's right. That's right. So you know, either like it or you don't, you know? I think he's trying to do something like, ironically, it, 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 I got a little bit of like what David Fincher is trying to do in Panic Room. So yeah. if you recall yeah. from Panic Room, the David Fincher movie, the camera would travel all over the place in through the handle of a coffee mug and into a crack of a door and whatever. And and the motivation behind that camera movement was to make you feel like you were just kind of drifting. There's no camera crew or anyone else. It was just you kind of drifting through the space, observing passively. Um, and I think there's some amount of that in this mm-hmm. movie, but it, it is very flashy camera movements. And I do like them because I like uh, flashy camera movements. That's me, Dave Chet. Um, but I understand if people don't like that. Uh, the, there's some really, there's some really, um, 10 sequences. Obviously, um, <coughs> the cast is great. I think this is Sam Esmail's second collaboration with Julia Roberts. Maybe yes. more than that. He made uh, homecoming, homecoming, the Amazon yeah. original series, which I thought was excellent. Like I, I thought it was really, Season one was really quite good, and uh, they they both did a great job with it. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think this movie really adds up to much. Like I kept waiting for some big reveal or big climactic moment, and it basically never came. And the movie just felt like it ended abruptly. And that's not necessarily bad, but the movie's over two hours long, and so kind of I left felt you like, behind, didn't it? Yeah, it kind of left me. I was like, I really needed this movie to do more to justify this runtime, unfortunately. So, um, 
<clears throat> ultimately, I was not a fan of Leave the World Behind, but it's su- it's such a weird movie because there's so many cool moments in it. And I will tell you that, uh, I mean, I- extremely basic element of the plot here, and I don't. I, this is not a spoiler. Basically, what happens is this: this family goes to this uh, Airbnb, this like luxurious Airbnb rental. That's kind of the, the the beginning of the movie. And as they're heading out there, the daughter character is watching Friends. She's watching the NBC original series Friends on her iPad. And then when they go out there because they don't have internet, she's unable to watch Friends. It's sad. And I just thought it's ironic that Netflix, the digital streaming company, is making a movie that is a testament to the importance of physical media. You know, because if you want to watch hey, Friends, you can download it for offline. That sounds like somebody didn't prepare in this uh, <laughs> this situation. <laughs> That's true, but those licenses eventually expired. Eventually. They do eventually yeah. expire. Yes. So you know, you never know how long you're going to be without internet. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So my overall thoughts, like I, I didn't, I didn't love it. Didn't, didn't really even like it. It kind of left a. a I was kind of like, what, what was the deal with all that? Uh, what, what was the purpose of all that? It felt like it didn't add up to anything. Uh, I will say, some people have compared it to Don't Look Up. Mm. Uh, so maybe uh, if you like that movie, you might like Leave the World Behind. You know, uh, but. I, I was not a fan. Uh, it is Leave the World Behind. It is streaming right now on Netflix. Uh, it's one of the top movies on the service right now. Uh, and I, I got a lot, I've gotten, you know, when I p- posted a thread about it, I got a lot of people reacting the same way. They're like, I felt exactly the same way. Where it's like, what was the point of all that? What was the point of all that? So if you liked it, feel free to let us know. Slash filmcast.gmail.com. Uh, but the movies Leave the World Behind. And that's something I've been watching this week. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more uh, what we've been watching right after this. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Jefferson Kanata, tell us something you've been watching this week. I had a chance to check out uh, a film called The Iron Claw. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when this comes out. Uh, oh, it looks like it's coming out yeah. uh, around Christmas time. Uh, yeah. December well, 22nd right. is when it's uh, releasing. So I-, I will steer clear of uh, spoilers, um, although it is based on true events. So if you're like me and, uh, you know, there a couple times a year, maybe uh, on the show, I, I come out of the closet and tell <laughs> folks that I'm a professional wrestling fan. Yeah, this is a wrestling movie. It's a wrestling movie. Um, yeah. So theoretically, it should be something that is, Jeff mm-hmm. is really into. You know? This is a movie that I was very excited to see. This is a a, a biopic uh, about the Von Erich family. Uh, if you, like me, uh, were really into wrestling in the late 80s, early 80s, late 80s, 
you would probably recognize Kerry Von Erich. Uh, he was an old WWF before it was WWE star. Uh, and uh, the Von Erich family was this storied uh, series of brothers that that competed in the territories uh, all across the South and uh, into the and got into national spotlight. They wrestled Ric Flair and Harley Race and the the hugest names of that era. And uh, Kevin Von Erich and Kerry Von Erich and the uh, this David Von Erich. There was this um, this series of brothers that were all uh pretty successful and they their father the patriarch of the family also had a was a legacy wrestler and and kind of trained the boys this is their story uh and it stars uh some notable folks zach efron uh jeremy allen white from the bear is in this um um uh, martini is in this it's uh, it's got a great cast, and I think the performances across the board are are pretty good. Um, Zach Efron almost never wears a shirt, so after all that work, why would you? If you know, you're into that, you gotta I look mean, at this. This you look at this. I came home from this movie and was like, I gotta do some push-ups. <laughs> it's one of those movies. It's like I I really should do some push-ups. Uh, See, Zach my, Efron. My answer, Jeff, is just never look in the mirror. Okay, <laughs> that's a good one. I Never guess. anymore. That works. Also, I it's, I don't even need to look in the mirror. I just know. I just look at Zach, <laughs> at Zach Efron, and I know. You know what I mean? It's um, like something where you look at him and you feel uglier afterwards. Right? Yes, 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 yes. I feel wimpy and uh, inadequate. Uh, he is a beast. Like he has gone far beyond fit and is now a beast. I mean, he looks like a wrestler like he, he he pulls off the fact that these you know these insane physiques and um you know despite his height it's it's quite funny to me that jeremy allen white and zach efron played the von eric brothers because i think the shortest <laughs> von eric was six two and i think they were like there was a six four one and like a six i want to say a six eight von eric brother uh and you know jeremy allen white is like five foot hump, you know, I don't know what, but anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. They're actors. They can, they can do the performance and they, uh, all the performances in this are good. I think this movie is just okay. Um, it is very depressing. Um, the, if you know anything about the Von Eric story, it is tragic, uh, and incessantly so. And, um, this movie is a real bummer. <laughs> so be aware of that. I, you know, I am a wrestling fan. I knew this story sort of cursorily. It, you know, I, I didn't know the the details of the family dynamic and everything. And there's some interesting stuff mined there. I just think the movie is kind of it sort of hits this plateau, and it's just okay. Um, I think the wrestling in it is not good. Um, that's probably to be expected. These are actors. I think most of the actors do their own wrestling in the movie. Um, and a lot of parts that I, they could have cast with actual actors. I mean, excuse me, with actual wrestlers are cast with actors. So it's like people who aren't, are only there to be wrestling opponents. You know, there's a couple, I think Chavo Guerrero is, is in this, uh, he plays the Sheik. Um, so he's a, you know, actual old WWE wrestler comes from another storied wrestling family, but um, most of the, you know, like the guy who plays Ric Flair, the guy who plays Harley Race, they, they're not actual wrestlers and it's not good wrestling, but I guess you're not coming to this movie for that. 
it really is only peripherally a wrestling movie. I mean, it is a wrestling movie, but it's about this family, right? And it's about the tragedies that they endure. And I think ultimately it's just not that great. And I'm really disappointed because I was very excited for this movie. I think it brings a level of cinematic legitimacy to wrestling. I mean, I guess the wrestler already did that. And I think the wrestler is a far better movie, but uh, it's cool to see this subject matter handled with, you know, a, a level of uh, respect and seriousness, I guess uh, that sometimes it is not afforded. Uh, These are, you know, this is real filmmakers, real actors, like uh, wanting to tell the the tale of, of these people it's just, I think it just fell flat for me because, you know, it is sort of, it sort of hits one note and stays there throughout. And it, it doesn't, it, it, the, the, the road, the, the journey to me, um, didn't have enough in it to uh, feel like it was a, a home run. I, I'm, I'm very disappointed, honestly, with the Iron Claw. It's not bad. It's not bad. Very watchable. And if you've never heard of the Von Erichs and you're just sort of curious about what wrestling was like in the late 70s and early 80s, well, this movie doesn't really give you that great of an idea, but it gives you a very specific <laughs> view of this family. And I think it could be interesting to folks um, that are, you know, that are curious about this stuff. It just, it's just okay. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, that's Jeff's thoughts on the Iron Claw. I'm really looking forward to this movie. Sean Durkin, obviously a very talented director. That's the main reason. Also, I want some like nostalgia WWF vibes, right? Like it's always going to be WWF for me. Like when they renamed to WWE, I was like past wrestling at that point. So it's not about the WWF. It's about the, it's about the, the, uh, WWCW, the NWA, Uh, the early, early territories. There's like, uh, five minutes of uh, a WWF reference right. because, uh, yeah, but yeah, like yeah, it's Sean really Durkin, not that dude does not make many movies. So the, it's intriguing. It, it, yeah. just, just so people have some, like uh, a little bit of behind the scenes, um, Jeff Devendra and I, uh, all receive differing levels of screeners and screenings. <laughs> and, and so, uh, like movie studios send out different, like a bunch of screener discs and screener links at the end of the year. And each of us receive like some different set of them. Um, but then some studios don't send out any screener discs of some of their movies at all. Uh, and I think the iron claw is one of them. I don't think I haven't, heard I of saw this in done, a movie theater. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard of anyone who'd gotten a screener disc for this one. So I missed my screening. Um, but I, and I was c- kind of bummed to do so. Otherwise this is one of my most anticipated films of the year. So I'm it was really one of mine to too. Yeah, it yeah. was one of mine too. I mean, I, like I'm a Jeff, huge, yeah, huge wrestling I, fan. I didn't like. I said I didn't not like it. I just didn't like it. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I yeah, think yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of how I feel about Leave the World Behind. It's like I didn't hate it, but I'm also like, what was the point of all that? Anyway, um, that's the Iron Claw. It's something Jeff Kanata has been watching this week. Devendra Hardwar, you and I both had a chance to check out your ghost's last movie, latest movie, I should say. <laughs> yeah, which we're is, just first name basis with him now. Yeah. It is out in limited release right now. Uh, poor things out in limited release. It'll mm-hmm. be rolling wider throughout the month. We'll probably try to find some time to have a, a more detailed conversation about it in the next month. I hope so. Um, but yeah, uh, this is a, another Emma Stone, Yorgos Lanthimos collaboration. We are probably going to talk about the very basic premise of the mm-hmm. film uh, in order to talk about the movie. But uh, Devendra, what did you think about the movie? 
Oh, I freaking, I loved this movie. And the thing is, like, I've always been a little, like, cold on uh, Mr. Yorgos because his early stuff, you know, which we we reviewed all of his main, you know, films. Um, his early stuff was really bleak, you know? Just kind of a bleak dude. Like, darkly funny, a lot of black humor, but very, very <laughs> bleak. Devinder's describing why I love all of Yeah, that's why you love him. Killing of a Sacred Deer. Good God, that amazing movie! movie. You know, Ama- love, yeah. love dog tooth, love yeah. the lobster, love the face. I, I love I, the lobster. Yeah. You know, I did. I did watch. I did watch a Yorgos thing that I wasn't a huge fan of recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made a short film called Nimic that was mm. a, that was available on Mubi, and I was like, I watched it, and I was like, oh, that was okay. You okay, know? That's, all right. But everything else he's done, I've been a massive fan of. I'm just well. He let, is, let me tell yeah. you. This movie feels just different because it has some of the like, you know, quirky Yorgos vibe, but also it has things I feel like a lot of his movies uh, didn't uh, hope and uh, color. <laughs> and watching this movie, I was reminded of like, man, you remember when Tim Burton made just like wildly imaginative movies uh, mm, clearly filmed on wow, sets that yeah. were just had full of like everything is just like pure imagination. And that's what this movie is. This is um, Yorgos's Frankenstein movie. Uh, Emma Stone's character is basically a, 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 a not quite a Frankenstein's bride, sort of like a child of Frankenstein, because her her creator, her father figure, is essentially Frankenstein's monster, from what we can see. And this is a movie about her, like figuring out who she is and what she wants from the world, and her sexuality, and her worldview, and politics, and everything. I just found this movie, um, first of all, hilarious. It is a lot of fun. Emma Stone um, is this is like just one of the funniest but also i'd say bravest performances put out there because uh this is a tough sell this movie is literally the sexy baby um you know trope but how do you do that but also make it interesting and give her weight you know and make her a legitimate character and somehow this movie makes it happen um it was also co-written by tony mcnamara who did the favorite and the great and i think like his basically his creative uh, union with Yorgos is very, very intriguing. And just, man, the look of this movie, I think everything about it looks fantastic. Um, I, I, I just want to yeah, be clear. I yeah. just want to be clear. So Devendra just said sexy baby. I think what you're referring to is there is the movie trope called yes. Born Sexy Yesterday. That's you can the call name. it whatever you want. It's the that's, same thing. That's but the yeah, name of the yeah. trope. And it's basically this idea of uh, a, a woman who is sexually mature mm-hmm. but has the mind of a child, like the Fifth Element, Fifth the whole Element, bunch of those, or yeah. Splash, or you know, like there's there's this whole mm-hmm. trope of like um, women who are sexually desirable and sexually mature, but like they are innocent, you know, in their mind. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, and this is movie a very, is literally that. It, it, yeah, in many it is ways. a very pernicious yeah. and negative bad trope that has been used many times in mm-hmm. movies. And yeah, this movie has that premise, but obviously. Uh, takes it in a far different direction than we've seen it yeah, in the past. Does something right? interesting. So yeah, I love it. Um, I think it's hilarious. Uh, this is Mark Ruffalo's funniest performance, I think, ever, because he just plays a little, he is a little so worm. He is a so little good worm. He is He's so, funny. so good. Like, everyone is so good. I didn't yeah. love his accent. He's, he has a British accent in this yeah. movie. I didn't love that, but I thought everything else Everyone was has a quote-unquote British accent in this movie, but you know what? Uh, just watching him squirm, he's just a little shit, and he is fun to watch. <laughs> like I love this movie. Yeah, I had a great time with Poor Things as well. And here's the thing. Um, when I watched The Favorite and mm-hmm. Killing of a Sacred Deer, I thought, oh, this is your Ghost Lanthimos Unchained. Like, <laughs> this, this is him is, having fun. This yeah. is him like at the full height of his heart. It's like, nope, I was wrong. Like this, this is him un- this really feels like mm-hmm. he doesn't care about any conventional cinematic <laughs> ideas that you know, like a lot of the movie is shot in fisheye lens, right? Like 
that's just not a perspective you see people use. And, and, uh, uh, and I think he's, he's just, I'm going to tell the story I, I want to tell. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it has any basis in any reality that you can recognize. It's, it's a fairy uh, tale. Yeah. It's a fairy tale. It's like takes place in this kind of steampunk version of Victorian England, uh, that has all these interesting inventions. A- anyway, I-, I had a great, t- it is boldly original, super creative, I, I think, I think time he's with this movie. maturing as a storyteller. I think that's my thing. Like it's, you don't have to just be man. Look how bleak this is. Like everybody sucks. Isn't that a great story? <laughs> how about how about okay? People suck, but also maybe there is more in this shitty mm. world that we can work towards. You know. Well, you know, agree to disagree with you about that, Devinder. But yeah. um, but I I really loved uh, poor things. I thought it was just uh, amazingly done. Just such a bold, original, creative vision. You're not going to see anything else like it. Also. Emma Stone is doing the best work of her career right now. So good. Between Poor yeah. Things and The Curse. It, 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 I'm just so impressed by how fearless she is, all the decisions she's making. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cannot say enough kind, positive things about what Emma Stone is doing. It's just like, it's amazing to watch someone take all the chances right now, which is what she's doing. And uh, we should support her for it. So mm-hmm. that's Poor Things is out in theaters right now. It'll be rolling wider in the months to come. It's something that Devinder Hardwar and I have been watching this week. I wanted to mention the new Criterion Blu-ray set, Jackie Chan, Emergence of a Superstar. Nice. Yeah. Uh, this is a new Blu-ray set that chronicles some of Jackie Chan's earliest films. Uh, how many movies? One, two, three, four, five, six of his earliest movies. And Jackie Chan, of course, one of the greatest entertainers to have ever existed. He's still alive making movies today. Uh, and a new Karate Kid movie. Yeah. Is that, do you mean the uh, the one that already came out or the new one that's supposed to come out? At some They're point? making a new one. Apparently, yeah. With, uh, with um, um, our buddy, uh, original Daniel. What's his name? Um, um, Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio? Yeah. Yeah. I'll believe it when I see it, Jeff Kanata, because the last Karate Kid movie came out 13 years ago. So I don't know if uh, I, I know what you're talking about is is in development. Mm-hmm, I'm, I'll mm-hmm. believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. But uh, anyway, and I, and I actually liked it I, against all odds. I actually liked the Jackie Chan remake. Yeah, it was not a terrible movie. It's not, it's fine. I would I, perfectly solid. I, you use uh, how long ago it came out as reason that it's not they're not making it, but they're literally three seasons of a TV series that are very recent. Mm-hmm, that's true. That's true. I'll give you that um, with Ralph Macchio. But listen, if you don't get Jaden, you don't. You have nothing. Yeah, right? you, he's, you, he's, you, he's done with acting. <laughs> he's done. Yeah, yeah. What's gonna happen to there? Anyway, all right. So this set includes half a loaf of kung fu, spiritual kung fu, the fearless hyena, the fear, fearless hyena two, the young master, and my lucky stars. Now I want to say this. Not all of these movies are good. In fact, uh-huh. I would argue most of them aren't good. <laughs> um, there, there's a reason they've been hard to get for a while. Yeah, but but it is so fast. It's such a valuable thing what Criterion has done to preserve these early movies, which are which basically show how Jackie Chan developed the style that we know from him today. Like these movies show that style in its infancy, uh, where. It's obviously extremely elaborate uh, martial arts choreography, but with a with a huge dollop of humor in it, right? I, I was watching Half a Loaf of Kung Fu, and there is a scene in this, there's a dream sequence of this movie where Jackie Chan eats spinach and they play the Popeye theme song, you know, and he like, he like juices <laughs> you, up with copyright? spinach. Right? Yeah. And it's just like, it's, it's hilarious. You can kind of se- get a sense of his like sensibility right from the beginning. And some of the action scenes are really amazing, you know, and that's uh, that's what I think 
people who want this Criterion Blu-ray set will want to see is like they want to see a how Jackie Chan developed and b some pretty kick-ass action scenes, and you will get that with this set. That said, some of the movies are pretty bad, and I will also say that uh, the visuals on the movies look awesome, but a lot of the audio is really rough. You know, it's mono audio. It sounds like, you know, I'm sure they did as good of a job they could, but it sounds, it sounds pretty rough. It's not great. It's not great sounding. Um, so it's not like a typical criterion release where you can expect, you know, the highest quality presentation, but that's because they're working with extremely degraded source material. I'm sure. So anyway, Jackie Chan emerges of a superstar. It's on criterion Blu-ray right now. It makes a great stocking stuffer for anyone who is a Jackie Chan fan or a martial arts fan or an action movie fan. Uh, and I'm just so pleased that Criterion has taken upon themselves to prefer to preserve this work, which previously the only way you could get it was in a sketchy uh-huh. Chinatown DVD shop. That's how I had. saw most of these. Yeah. <laughs> right. VCDs exactly. back in the day. It's just, yeah. yeah buy like Divex or whatever, uh-huh. in, you know, from some guy off the street who had like lined up all the, jewel cases on the street like that's how i watched a lot of jackie chan early in the day and it's so nice that it's getting like a really solid release that that honors the work so there is a lot of cultural value in this and uh and i i recommend it so that's jackie chan emerge of a superstar half a loaf of kung fu is such a great title it's an it's an amazing title it's an amazing title and uh, and the movie is very fun too. He basically like want, he's a guy who wants to be a kung fu master, and he applies to all these jobs and kind of he's very bumbling. And you really get the sense of how he he refined his persona in these movies, you know. So uh, anyway, huge Jackie Chan fan. That's Jackie Chan, Emergence of a Superstar. It's on Criterion Blu-ray right now. Let's take another break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more what we've been watching right after this. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Jeffrey Kanata, I'm so curious to hear what you thought of this movie. What have you been watching this week? I had a chance to, I think last week, uh, as you were bringing it up, I was saying I was seeing it tonight. Yeah. Mm. Uh, A movie called Dream Scenario starring Nicolas Cage. Out in theaters right now, yeah. Yes. I love this movie. It is <laughs> that's awesome. Full on one of my favorite movies of the year. It is. Oh, I love that, Jeff. I love that. Yeah. So, so good and yes. so insightful. Yes. So of the now, so perfectly encapsulates encapsulates what yes we're yes. going through as a culture yes. uh, in the uh, oh, you know the mid twenty yes. twenties. Yes, to um, all the things you're saying, Jeff. Yes, it is. Uh, I did not listen to uh, what you were saying last <laughs> week, as as I did when you guys were talking about poor things. I took my earphones yeah, out, yeah, so I yeah. I, uh, I did not know the premise of this movie going in at all. And my goodness, is it genius? Uh, it is a genius premise. It is so uh, such a perfect perfect metaphor for fame and uh, cancel culture and the notion of sort of uh, uh, <laughs> you know social media and its influence on our society and just so many things that are so relevant to the experience we're having living through. <laughs> 
<laughs> this po- moment of time. But like all fantasy, and I've been doing this um, this uh, book club show on my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Kanata Jeff. And uh, we have been fortunate enough to interview the author, Stephen Erickson, twice now because we're talking about his work. And I think he's a genius. One of the things he said uh, about he, – he, he writes fantasy novels. And one of the things he said about fantasy novels is the gift that fantasy gives you is that you can make the metaphor real. Like you can make the metaphor manifest in the fantasy allows you to take the metaphor of a thing and make that the text. And that is exactly what dream scenario is doing. It is, it takes this metaphor that you might, uh, you might be able to relate to something and makes that the thing that's happening. And it is so beautiful. It's, it's beautifully shot. It's, I mean, Nicholas Cage is, is like in full, um, uh, moonstruck, uh, yeah, moonstruck uh, mm-hmm. mode. You know, um, he's like old, like this plays this kind of wimpy dude in such a beautiful way. He like places his voice higher, and the way he has these mannerisms where he's just awkward all the time. He's so great in it. It's just so great. Well, it's also like Nicolas Cage when I was growing up was an action star, right? Like he was. The Rock and mm-hmm. Con Air and and so on and so forth and many actors n- never move beyond that. Tom Cruise yeah. has not moved beyond that. S- Sylvester Stallone has not moved beyond that. And I well, like I think, that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead yeah. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was gonna say I like that Nicolas Cage is embracing like another phase of his career, right? Where he yeah. is well, he I is think acting the, in these the weird. The better movies. metaphor yeah. is, or the better comparison is Bruce Willis, right? Because mm, Bruce Willis yeah. started as the goofy comedic guy. And then moved into action star and never got out of action star. Mm, mm, and yeah. similarly, Nicholas Cage started as goofy comedic guy in Moonstruck. Like that was his big break was, you know, his first kind of major role was uh, Moonstruck. And he's like the goofy romantic doofus in that movie. And then he transitioned into this action thing for years. And, but, but he's still that guy. He got out of it. He didn't get stuck in a rut. And I, I love yeah, that and about he's, he's back to comedy. You know, he's doing he's making movies like Renfield, the unbearable weight of massive talent these days. Yeah. You know, like he, I feel like he's always kind of zigged and zagged and had a weird uh, eclectic career. And I think that's kind of the charm of him. Totally. So I, yeah. I do think he's like mostly focusing on kind of like comedy, like off kilter comedy things these days. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah. of which this is kind of one, you know. So yeah, yeah, I mean he's he's like out of shape and 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 he shaved his head to, to look like he's got a you know receding hairline and he's just he's really it's a real character turn. Um but he's great in it and everybody is great in it and the writing is so great and it it really I I think it's one of my favorite movies of the year for sure. It is just so perfectly uh I mean there are there are some moments in it where I was cackling with laughter. Yeah. It's very funny, but it's also really uh profound and you know, it gives you a lot to chew on as you're walking out of the theater. It, it's it's man, it's a home run. I love well, it. So for for those who don't know, um if Jeff is going to see a movie typically, he will not listen to us talk about it during what we've been watching because he doesn't want anything spoiled about it. Um, but in this case, I think, uh, like, I, I'm really curious what other people's reaction is going to be to this film because, uh, Jeff, I love, basically, since you didn't hear us talk about it, I love this movie. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. I am 
uh, I, I don't think people love it as much as you and me, Jeff. You know, really? I think people out there, they're not, they don't find it as like, I, I was like, this is incredible. This is like the movie of our times, you know? And uh, at least at the screening I saw, and, and certainly I think the, the online conversation has been a bit muted about this movie. Um, I don't, I don't think people love it as much as us, but, but Jeff and I love this movie and I, I agree with pretty much everything you said, Jeff. I think it's really, there's a, a lot to chew on. And one thing I mentioned last week, and I'm, I think I'll also repeat today is that, uh, this movie does a really good job of showing you what dreams look and feel like, which mm. is something that is very difficult to do. Uh, and I thought the dream sequences of this movie were really amazing. So, yeah. I, I don't know if I completely agree with that, oh, but okay. I do th- well, I do think the dream sequences are amazing. I'm not yeah. sure that like that's how I dream, but mm. I think it's an interesting take on presenting dreams. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I think this movie, is, it feels like a Charlie Kaufman movie. I yes, think this, this is yeah. Nicolas Cage from Adaptation. Yeah. And if you like Adaptation, Adaptation is one of my favorite movies of all time. If you like Adaptation, I can guarantee you're going to like Dream Scenario. It feels like it's of the same DNA. Extremely similar, because, especially because in both movies, he plays a character struggling to write something. Struggling so, to write something, yeah. neurotic, yeah. uncertain of himself. Like, it, it's, it's a... It's a a style of Nicolas Cage that I think he does really, really well, but doesn't do super often. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, th- and this movie has got that sort of magical realism that, that Charlie Kaufman excels in where it's like the world, but just slightly off kilter, like supernatural stuff kind of happens, but we're still in the, we're still in the world we live in, but everything just feels a little larger than life or, or supernatural. And I love movies like that. I love movies that take, this these fantastic elements, these fantastical yeah. um, components, and shove them into everyday life. It's very grounded, right? It's a very yeah. grounded film. Yeah. So it, it's so and it's, dude, it's so funny. There's one sequence that I want to reference, but I won't. Um, it, but it, it's it. Yeah, this is a great movie. Go see Dream Scenario. Don't be like one of the people that doesn't because yes. this is a great movie. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Dream Scenario, it's uh, one of my favorite movies of the year. It's out in limited release right now. I think it'll be rolling wider uh, throughout the month. But check it out. Jeff and I loved it. And that's something else that Jeff Kanata has been watching this week. Okay, Devendra Hardwar, hit us up with something else you'll be watching. Sure. Um, you, you know what, guys? I watched somebody clean public toilets for two hours. And, uh, <laughs> but it enough is about one of, your trip to New York. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's also one of my favorite movies of the year. And that is uh, Vim Vender's Perfect Days, which is a movie about uh, a janitor. Um, It's a person who just cleans public toilets all day. Um, And they lead a very simple life. And this is basically a movie all about somebody who has just like figured out what they want to do. Like all they need in life is to live in the now. They have this very, um, they have this job that they just do diligently and they wake up every day and they're ready to do it they appreciate um the world they appreciate like the smaller moments and things it's about somebody who has an artistic soul who has basically just figured out what they want to do to kind of enjoy life and appreciate everything around them um its star is koji yakusho who is also an interesting choice here because he is the uh, handsome white suited gangster from tom popo so really interesting to also have somebody like him nice. play down his ham- his handsomeness too. He's just a dude. He's a dude who lives in a townhouse apartment. Uh, it's so basic. It doesn't have a bathtub or a shower. So he used to go to the public bath, but he starts every day the same way. He cleans the toilets. He does a great job. 
and he interacts with people who often just ignore him or don't pay attention to him you know um it's a statement on many things in the ways that you know we probably don't even notice the service workers around us uh, just kind of keeping things running but also in the sense that you know he is a somebody with artistic ambitions he is reading books every night he is taking photos throughout the day just to capture a sense of beauty in the world right and i think there's just something really really chill really peaceful about watching this movies uh this movie uh it is a vim vendors film so it's very much like paris texas or those other films where it's like it's not really about people doing much it is more about chilling with these people and their vibes but i think this guy is really interesting um you know he does there's not much conflict in this movie it is basically about existing um he runs into people he knows uh they hint at a backstory but none of that is important because you're just following this person who's figured out like how they want to live. And of course, because it's a Vim Vendors movie, uh, you know, they're, they're listening to classic rock. They're listening to all sorts of stuff uh, while he's driving around Tokyo. It's a really chill movie and I really dig it. So if you're into the Vim Vendors stuff, if you're into Paris, Texas, this I think is um, kind of a perfect encapsulation of themes he's been chasing for a very long time. So I love this movie. It's called Perfect Days. It's in theaters now. I think it's in limited release, but people are going to catch this streaming at some point, and it's totally worth it. it, The current plan, I believe, is for it to get uh, some... Uh, a theatrical release in early 2024. Yeah, um, it it did but, play in some theaters. It, yeah, it played is, in some theaters. This and, is Japan's Oscar entry. Yeah, like a, a movie directed by a German man, a very famous one, but is also Japan's say you know big Oscar play. So I yeah. think that's fascinating. It played in theaters for an Academy Award qualifying run, run already, but it will apparently have a proper theatrical release in 2024. Divindra, this movie reminded me. It gave me some Patterson vibes, which I know is another. It's movie very that much you Patterson. Really I mean, yeah, yeah. Jarmusch and Vim Vendors are always like of a kind in terms of how they're doing stuff. So. Um, I I like their their things when they hit. I, I really like Patterson. I really like a lot of Jarmusch's stuff. And then sometimes um, it's funny because uh, not this movie, but yeah, Jarmusch like the, the zombie one he did. I was not a huge fan of. So they're hit and miss sometimes. I think this one is a clear hit for me though. Yeah, that's uh, Perfect Days, new movie by Vin Vendors, uh, and it will be out shortly in theaters. I had a chance to watch a movie called All of Us Strangers. I don't know if you guys have heard of this movie. Yes, yeah, yeah. It is supposed to be coming out, I think, in, on December 20th. Basically, tons of movies are coming out on December 22nd this year. I have seen um, so many movies of the last like eight, like I'm going to yeah. say like eight interesting movies are coming out on December 22nd. You know, um, like we, American Fiction and All the Strangers and um, uh, the new Aquaman movie and Rebel Moon and like all these. So they, they're just like the movie studios are like, hey, let's make things as hard for the film cast as possible. Um but it was originally going to be on Hulu, and then it, it is getting a theatrical release on, I think, December twenty uh, second, twenty twenty three. And uh, I'm going to talk about stuff that happens in the first ten minutes of this movie. Um, but it's basically uh, directed by Andrew Haig. Andrew Haig is is a guy who kind of just gets me, David Chen. You know, like I don't, he doesn't know who I am. But he makes movies that speak directly to my soul. Uh, he made a movie called 45 Years in, in 2015. Have you guys ever heard of the movie 20, 45 Years? Um, I love that movie. You know, It's a great film. Uh, and I think not very many people saw it or talk about it, but it's like one of my favorite films. Probably of all time, probably my top 50 of all time. Um, he has made a new movie called All the Strangers in which there is, uh, what is what's his name? The, guy, the hot priest from uh, Fleabag. 
uh, Andrew Scott plays a struggling screenwriter who is living in an apartment building uh, mostly by himself. Uh, and he's visited by uh, a mysterious stranger also in the apartment building one night. That's how the movie kicks off. And uh, and then with, within 10 minutes of the movie beginning, something really fascinating happens. And I need to just talk about it uh, in order to kind of tell you why this movie is very meaningful to me. Um, Andrew Scott goes to visit his parents to tell them how he's doing. But you quickly realize something is not quite right with the visit because his parents are the same age or younger than Andrew Scott. Uh, and you quickly realize, oh, th- these aren't his real parents. This is some vision or ghost, what, ghostly apparition or whatever, some version of his parents that doesn't exist anymore. And uh, it, it was very uh, moving to me. You know, I think, um, especially at our age, gents, you know, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I spend some amount of time thinking about my parents' mortality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's something really interesting about the idea of being able to interact with your parents when they were the age that you are now, right? Like it's not an opportunity we, any of us get when our, when we're born, our parents are already at like our life phase right mm-hmm. now. Um, and, uh, and, but we never get to know what they were like at this life phase. And we, we never get to, we never get to talk to them as kind of equals, right? Like as though we're all in the same life phase. Uh, and the, the beginning of this movie imagines like, what if you could do that? And I found that to be just extremely powerful and emotionally devastating. And the movie does not stop emotionally devastating after that. It is really sad and heartbreaking and it's a huge bummer. It's like what Jeff was talking about with the iron claw. It's, it's a huge bummer of a movie. Um, but I really loved it. I really thought it was quite, quite remarkable and quite lovely and beautiful. And, you know, uh, it, it gave me all the feels. And so, uh, I would recommend you have a chance, you check it out. You know, we're all trying to catch up on end of year stuff. This was one of the things I was like, I saw the poster. I was intrigued. I like Andrew Scott, Paul Mescal's in the movie, by the way, Devendra. He plays a stranger. That I shows heard. Up, I heard. Yeah. That's why I'm interested in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I loved it. I loved it, and uh, I think it's a, a high contender for one of my top movies of the year. The movie is All of Us Strangers. It will be in theaters on December 22nd, and it is one other thing I've been watching this week. So it's it's not coming to Hulu after all, or it will later. I think it will because it's a it's a Fox Searchlight movie. So hmm. basically, anything that's Fox Searchlight eventually comes to Hulu in general. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be a few weeks until, or a few few months until that happens. Um, I, I recommend, honestly, Jeff Kanata. I there is a, it occurred to me like this could be my mass. Um, mm. Oh, it's that that, that, that heavy. I, that I rec- yes, it's that heavy. That I, that I recommend to Jeff Kanata this year. Where for those who don't know, a couple years ago, I said, Jeff, you got to watch this movie, Mass. I think you're going to be really into Jeff, it. Jeff, uh, just wait. I need to devastate you. Yeah, <laughs> I need to and scar made, you forever. Yeah. It made Jeff's top ten list because it was an extremely good movie, but it's also very emotionally sad and devastating. And I almost thought about like pulling a Mass card on you, where I was like, <laughs> Jeff, you got to watch this before your top ten. I I don't Man. quite feel ready to do that because um some of the, just i'll just say extremely vaguely some of the ways that the events play out of the movie make me feel like oh i could see someone being really pissed at how this movie kind of mm. you know some of the turns this movie takes and so I, I don't quite feel as strong about but i i came close to like texting jeff and saying 
you got to watch this movie before, you know, um, and I had, before the I had a screening for this over a month ago and I did yeah. not go to it. And now I'm what regretting a weird that. Yeah. freaking release. Cause it was supposed to be on Hulu earlier this year and now it's going to be on it later. But yeah, um, I do, I do recommend it to, to people in general, but it is, it is a very sad movie. So you, you will be sad by the movie. So anyway, uh, all of us strangers name the movie. Uh, and I am mixed on whether to recommend it to Jeff, but you, but I, I say all that Jeff, because I'm like, there's a lot of stuff in there that is very Jeff adjacent, I think, you know? So anyway, uh, the movies, all of us strangers is something else I've been watching this week. Jeff Kanata, tell us about something else you've been watching this week. Well, I do another podcast. Uh, I do several other podcasts, but one of the ones I do, I've mentioned before is a video game podcast called DLC. Both Devendra and Dave have guested on that podcast in the past, and it's uh, we're about to celebrate our 10th anniversary. Uh, this January will be our 10 years we've been doing the DLC. And one of the things we've done since the beginning is end the show with something we call parting gifts, which is recommendations uh, for other things. Could be anything. And uh, we get them from the audience as well. And early in November, we got an email uh, from somebody, I believe, in Australia who was recommending a TV series before it was available in the States. Uh, yeah, this this yeah. guy named Max uh, wrote in and said, hey, I feel like I'm always behind the curve. For once, I want to be ahead of the curve. I want to <laughs> tell you about this show you can't even watch yet, but it's coming to Paramount+. Plus." So I kind of put that in the back of my mind and uh, kept an eye out for when uh, a show called Colin from Accounts was released on Paramount Plus, and my wife and I started watching it. And I have to tell you, this has quickly become one of my favorite half-hour comedies of recent memory. It really feels made for you, Jeff. Like it one of those, like yeah, incredible. Now, here's the thing: <laughs> you hear the title "Colin from Accounts," <laughs> and I conjured in my head because I had heard this title so far in advance uh -huh. of when I actually saw the show. You think it's like The Office or something. Exactly. Yeah. I have a very clear yep. idea of what this show is going to be. Colin from Accounts. Very much. Yeah. I can I, I, I'm, I, I'm not joking. I literally thought this was a spinoff of what we yes. do in the shadows. Okay. Yes, me too. Uh, now, yeah. let me yeah. be very clear. I am not going to spoil <laughs> the joy of finding out what this title <laughs> refers uh -huh. to. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. But suffice it to say... You will never guess. It's a doozy. <laughs> it's a hell of a one. What yeah. this title refers to. Mm -hmm. So I will talk in very general terms that the thrust of the show is about two people that uh, are in each other's lives by happenstance and sort of have to deal with each other. And it stars uh, two uh, Australian actors who are a real life couple. Mm -hmm. And I think this show benefits from their chemistry, their real life chemistry because it is so beautiful. I will tell you, I think episode two of Colin from Accounts is one of the finest half-hour comedy episodes ever made. It's really it, good. I've yeah. watched episode two twice, and I think it is perfect. I think it's, it's perfectly written. It is so, the show is so delightful, unexpected, funny. It has setups and payoffs that are wonderful. The way the characters interact with each other is comes from this place of really sweet uh sweetness, but like there's there's an uh, you know, there's obviously friction because it's it's a it's drama, you know, so there has to be conflict, but it, it it's so lovely and 
the the humor is derived from really clever moments that I've I've never quite seen done this way before. There is a in episode two, there is a dating sequence where uh, the 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 male lead of the series goes out on a date with somebody, and the twists and turns of the date are like I've never seen a show do what it does in that. It, it sort of plays the comedic, oh, this is the worst date ever. And it's very funny, but then it like keeps switching it up and everything that happens is completely unpredictable. And the whole show is like that. It's sweet and fun and funny. I feel like there's moments of pure improvisation between the two leads because you can see them sort of making each other laugh. And it's so charming and beautiful and so... Well, I just, I think the world of this show, it's brilliant, it's funny, it's fun. Colin from Accounts. Don't miss it. If you have a Paramount Plus subscription, you have to watch it. If you don't have a Paramount Plus subscription, it might be worth getting one for a month. It's it's only eight episodes. I, I was watching this throughout my trip, actually. It was like, it was like the wind down thing I was watching. And uh, it's so good. It it is very much in the style of like catastrophe and a lot of the other shows we've talked about about you know yeah uh, messy people trying to be a couple. I do think I just fair warning. I think it is worth just saying like what what is the kickoff point of this show, and it does involve a car, a, a dog getting hurt. So that is a thing I've heard just like turned off people immediately. How do you basically start a show where? a dog gets run over by a car within 30 seconds, right? And that is the 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 inciting incident that unites these two people. Um, how do you make that work? How do you make them not seem like absolute monsters and somehow they do it? Um, I do love the show, Jeff. I feel like the one thing I noticed is like, I wasn't too surprised to learn that um, they were husband and wife because I feel like the characters maybe have too much of an ease with each other like immediately. You know, like they just really get up in their lives together and are super comfortable. Um, but it it is a really, really um, funny show, really moving show. Also something that hits people in their 30s and 40s. It's about somebody becoming 30. It's about somebody in their 40s and kind of stuck in dealing with mortality and other issues. It's about a lot of things, but it's also very funny and very sweet. And also want to shout out the uh, the the guy, Patrick Bramell, uh, plays. Um, he's in Bluey. He is rad. Yeah. Yeah, he's rad and bluey. He was also in the bro- the, that yeah. show Evil, which I've talked about before, and I totally did not even recognize him because I kind of hate his character in, in Evil. Um, but he's think, really good here. I think yeah. that's only because uh, there's only like six actors in Australia that have yeah, stayed yeah. in Australia, you know? So like <laughs> everybody else has come here. And so it's like, well, who are we going to get to be in Bluey? Well, it's they, like, they it's both come here him. to do shows. It's the thing. Like they've both been around for a while, but anyway, yeah. Harriet Dyer is, uh, is the girl in the show too. And she is, they're fantastic. They, but they, yeah. you know, Patrick Bremel, I think has a great, he's good at whining. He's good at just getting frustrated by things. And I think Harriet Dyer uh, embodies, Somebody who is like on the cusp of true adulthood, you know, coming out of your 20s and uh, trying to figure out how to be a grown up, I think is kind of fascinating. Uh, yeah, this sort of made me tear up a couple of times, too. It's really yeah, sweet. It's it can so balance good. a lot at the same time. All right. Well, that's calling from accounts. You guys have convinced me I will check this out this week. Yeah, um, you'll dig it. So it's on Paramount Plus. By the way, I don't know if you guys heard breaking news today, but Showtime as an independent brand will no longer exist. Uh, it's not going to be called Max. It's not going to be the called the one to watch for Showtime. It's now going to be called Paramount Plus with Showtime. 
which is the, the new name of Showtime, is Paramount Plus of Showtime, rolls trippingly off the tongue. Indeed. But, Indeed. Wow, Who could it, forget? Remember, guys, do you guys remember when in the old days it was like HBO versus Showtime? There was like yeah, a rivalry. Yeah. Things were yeah. simple. And then Cinemax was there kind of like, hey, we, we can be part of the rivalry. And nobody yeah. was like, we don't <laughs> want to watch Friday nights to us. We're a little crunchy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now to see one, I mean, we're seeing all this consolidation, but to see Showtime, a once, once a contender against HBO reduced to being Paramount plus with Showtime. Uh, yeah. I mean, not, I don't even, think, not even the lead name in the streaming yeah, not service. Not even the lead. It's, uh, I don't think HBO has not been reduced though. Right. Mm-hmm. It's true. Everything's been reduced. They're all, they're under, they're now a sub brand under Max, but yeah, you're right. They're not even Showtime with Paramount plus. It's just Paramount plus with Showtime. It, that is, yeah. that is profoundly depressing. I have to say anyway, Paramount plus lift other side of the fold and also showtime <laughs> and also showtime is included one of our <laughs> bonus features is showtime it's like woof, woof. a once great studio now become basically uh, a mini mini brand add-on i don't it doesn't even fuck freaking make sense to me because <laughs> showtime's the one that has a brand that's been built up for like decades paramount plus mm-hmm. didn't exist five years ago anyway whatever okay don't, the, don't, studios, don't underestimate a, a little plus symbol. People love yeah. those. <laughs> the studios think too highly of themselves. Like they think people will get excited. They see Paramount. Oh man, people have such a long-lasting relationship with our brand. Yeah, Paramount. Yes, yeah. yeah, so they, they'll yeah. want to climb Paramount Mountain. Yes. <laughs> anyway, all right. Devinder Hardwar, uh, hit us up with uh, one last thing you've watched this week. Oh sure. Um, I checked out uh, Ava DuVernay's next film, her upcoming film called Origin. Uh, it's in limited release now. It's going to be released wide um, late January, like January nineteenth, yeah. I believe. And this is a weird movie, guys, because um, I heard the initial pitch of this. I heard that she was adapting Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast: The Origins of Our Discontents, and that is a that is a big book that is trying to like unite the idea of racism to to the idea of caste so it's drawing parallels between um you know racism and slavery in america to nazi germany to the caste system in uh, in india I mean, it, it goes further yeah. than that I, so i've read the book it's an excellent yeah. book uh it goes further than that it's like uh not like it it, it asserts that mm-hmm. uh nazis found are yes. uh, the way that we handled race in this country too intense it's like Hey, um, the way wow, like the way the United States has done this is 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 ingenious, it's a hardcore guys. And yeah. It's a little hard, you know, like let's not go that hard, okay? Please. But um, yeah, the, so, yeah, the key point is she basically laid out like yeah, the Nazis were very much inspired by the U.S. Right. Um, yeah. So and this it, is it's, a, it's yeah. like a historical uh, nonfiction. So it's like it's weird. It's like how are they going to make a movie out of that? That's not a. How do you make a movie? It's out not of a that? documentary. I don't think. Right. It's it's the weird thing. It's it's weird because <laughs> at times it feels like a documentary so the movie the dramatized movie stars Anjani Ellis um, who I love she's been in a ton yes. of things lately um, she was in that Justified show we've yeah. talked about that um, as Isabel Wilkerson as the author coming up with the ideas and mm. the thesis wow. of this book so it's kind of like a biography about her life but it also flashes to some of those specific points she's talking about so the movie really slims things down to the history of the U.S. Um, and slavery and Nazi Germany and Dalits uh, or the untouchables in India. And it, you know, dives into like historical sequences there. It at times feels a little luxury too. Like it's a weird balance. But at the same time, I really dug this movie. And I think it's really fascinating and um, very much like within the wheelhouse of things uh, Ava DuVernay's has been exploring. Um, sort of like 
a mixture between Selma, which I loved, and uh, and the stuff she's done for Netflix too, like the Thirteenth. Um, there, we've all forgotten about the, A Wrinkle in Time, and you know that yeah. movie was just kind of a tough thing to adapt. I also think this book is tough to adapt, but yes. somehow, I, I mean, the I fact, think it works. If they can do it, if it's even marginally functional as a film, I think it's uh-huh. a huge accomplishment. Because well, like, here's the thing: the like, book it is, is so sprawling. If yes. the book spans centuries, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. Anyway, this um, this really it, it just focuses on Wilkerson and her like going on a journey to discover this. And at times it feels like a documentary because she goes, she travels to India and she meets Dalit professors who kind of um, kind of lay down like what basically what that meant, what being a Dalit uh, was and how, uh, you know, you, you basically um, it was a cast of people who basically were assigned to clean toilets and that that was it like they, they had no way to rise up in society um a lot of toilet really, cleaning in your what we've been watching this week yeah there's a lot of toilet cleaning. theme <laughs> yes, um indeed. but also in you know i guess what you can what you can achieve from that too like being doing the worst job uh, in a society um i think this movie is really fascinating also uh, co-stars john bernthal as just like a guy he's not an assassin he's not like a soldier <laughs> just bomb john bernthal guy uh, uh isabel wilkerson's <laughs> husband and that uh, that also felt a little strange to me because he is he really puts on his uh full-on like charm offensive here like he is he's just really charming really sweet like he's a really nice guy he's nice to her mom uh i also just found that really funny um it's a really sincere film is a thing i think um i don't think it's going to work for everyone um it is not exactly subtle but I also don't think it. Uh, I don't think it needs to be. I think it, it lays out a really, really intriguing argument that kind of um, unites the way societies tend to get disrupted and tend to stratify and tend to put people at a disadvantage to let certain people feel better about themselves. So it it is a really interesting idea, and I hope it convinces people to read um, Isabel Wilkerson's book because I think I will now too. It's something that's been on my list for a while, but um, the movie is just really compelling. But I don't think it's going to work for everyone, too. Like, it's it's a weird thing because it doesn't feel like a traditional film at times, too. I'm fascinated to see, like, what people actually think of this. But, yeah, I dug it. Honestly, it reminds me a little bit of a very different movie that has already been mentioned on this podcast. Adaptation. Uh, adaptation, right. It's very, is... very adaptation except played straight. Right. Not like right. how hard it is to make this, but a straight up dramatization of making, yeah, that book. Yeah, which is, which adaptation, for those who haven't seen it, is a, is a, a movie about the writing of the movie version of a magazine article mm-hmm. uh this sounds like this this movie origin uh is, is about the writing of the book on which the movie is based yes right yep yeah what a what a odd meta it's thing. wild it's but wild yeah, yeah, yeah. it's um, I'm, I'm all for people taking like interesting uh takes having interesting takes on their uh the source material so mm-hmm. origin it'll be out it's out in limited release right now it'll be out expanding further um in the weeks to come okay uh I have a couple of things I just want to mention real quick that were already talked about last week on the podcast. Uh, first of all, I had a chance to see Maestro, the Bradley Cooper movie. Uh, I love this movie. This spoke directly to me. Uh, it, I, I typically hate musical biopics. Mm. I think they are a blight on our creative landscape because many of them take such a similar approach to an artist's life. They compress an artist's life. They make it less interesting. They don't capture the full nuance of what the creative process is like. They're extremely formulaic. They're extremely predictable. Uh, 
I, I hate them, most of them. Um, and so when you're a musical biopic, you go in with minus points on Dave Chen's board, right? I'm already like inclined to not be a fan of these. It's people. like maestro <laughs> minus one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right, Joe. More like tar um, minus one, I yeah. guess. You gotta, you gotta get up to the level of tar. Yeah. Uh, what's great about maestro is I mean, it does have a little bit of a biopic syndrome where mm-hmm. it kind of skips over what I would imagine is a lot of interesting material, but it really focuses on um, the marriage between these characters, these characters, uh, Leonard Bernstein, uh, uh, Bernstein, I should say. Um, and his wife, Felicia Montalegro, who's played by Carrie Mulligan. Uh, it's really about their marriage. That's what, that's what the movie's about. And it's not about Bernstein's career at all. Really. I mean, you get, you know, snapshots of it and you get, Bradley Cooper as Leonard Bernstein performing and, and, you know, uh, and I have to say the quote unquote faking, if it isn't, if it even is faking is in general, exceptionally good. Like he, Bradley Cooper really did his homework. He studied, clearly studied tapes of Leonard Bernstein and, um, and did a good job of replicating his movements and his mannerisms and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, it's really about their marriage and how, Difficult it is to be married to a creative person. That's kind of what I think the thesis of the movie is. And uh, and I love when a biopic focuses on one event, like the Steve Jobs movie did, you know, or one, you know, one element of a person's life. Don't be like, when the person was born, they blah, 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 and then they died and blah, blah, blah. It's like- Don't be Napoleon. Don't be Napoleon. Well, I mean, <laughs> Napoleon, I think, like, could have been an interesting focus on their marriage, but it had, yeah, it was yeah. like, hey, we have a bunch of war scenes we need to do. You know, like, that was the problem. Is it, it, it was completely unfocused. This is very much focused on their marriage. And I think- the acting that both of these actors do is so good. It's some of their best work that they've ever done. And what's awesome about it too is, um, you know how when a stunt, uh, like stunt people made the first John Wick movie, you could tell because it's like, oh wow, the stunt work is really represented beautifully in that movie. Like wide shots, long continuous shots. You can see people are actually hitting the floor and so on. Uh, You can tell Maestro was made by an actor because the acting gets a real opportunity to shine in this movie. Like there is some sequences play out in like long continuous shots where it's just sheer acting talent on display for you. Um, so anyway, I, I really liked it. I really loved it. I, I was, I was surprised by how much I love this movie. I'm really um, looking forward to seeing yeah, it. It's, it's, it's probably going to be one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, mm-hmm. I think I was oh, no, the I- biggest fan of, uh, um, the Leonard. star is born. Oh, um, star is born. Of, of us. us. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps. I, I, and I, 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 I really like the way he directs movies. I, think. I mean, the movie's beautiful. The movie's beautiful. You know, yeah. it's so many, he, he is, he's not just like, Oh, I am acting in maestro and I have to direct it as well. He is, I am going to like maximize my abilities in directing it. I'm going to try to pack, symbolic meaning into every single shot composition in this movie. And you can feel it. You can feel mm-hmm. how much yeah. love went into this movie. And sometimes that's a bad thing. Sometimes it's like, oh, this person got too attached to the material. But in the case of Maestro, uh, I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I thought the whole package is super compelling. So, uh, yeah, I loved it. Maestro, it's out in theaters right now as we speak. And it'll be on Netflix, I think, 
on like December 21st. That magic day. That magic day. Yeah, that magic day. December 21st, that window when every single movie is coming out according to the movie studio. So, and then finally, I wanted to talk to you guys very briefly about the zone of interest. Oh, yes. Uh, A movie about which you guys had a very spirited discussion last week (laughs) on the podcast, right? Basic plot for the zone of interest I'm going to reveal right now. Uh, It is a Nazi and his family during World War II try to make a home for themselves right next to a, a, you know, Auschwitz, the concentration camp, right? They're they're trying to like, it's about their lives uh, in the shadow, the literal shadow of Auschwitz. Another one of those movies. Mm -hmm, Another one of those movies. Now, and you you say that, Jeff, and I'm just going to say, I understand why people would be completely put off by this film Mm -hmm. because really we we need a movie from the perspective of the nazis you know is that really what we need at this moment in time right now in our society at this at this in, in this cultural moment uh, and so i understand if just the premise turns you off yeah. like if you some would say yes some would, would say that is exactly the thing we should be yeah pay, I, paying attention to right i now. mean if, yeah. if if that's what you know but i i understand if people are like completely put off by it and don't don't even want to engage with it that's completely sure, understandable, sure. in my opinion um I gotta say, I think I come in somewhere between you two guys, like uh, in terms of how much I enjoyed this film or or appreciated this film. Uh, I wanted to think like, oh, it's a masterpiece, it's a genius, um, but I ultimately found a lot of the approach to the material to be like a little bit off putting. I think, I think it's an interesting style. I think um, virtually every shot in the movie is stationary. There are some like dolly shots that move from side to side but virtually every shot is a stationary locked off shot it seems to use only natural lighting in the entire film so they it's like kind of shot it like a, almost like a reality series right like a like reality spy camera exactly yeah. yeah very fascinating style uh and i like you know jonathan glazer like under the skin also used very interesting shooting style as well um but I didn't quite dislike it as much as Jeff or find it to be as tedious as Jeff did. I think that there's enough interesting stuff is happening throughout the film that I was engaged. Uh, but nor did I think it was uh, an incredible revelation. I, I do think it asks a very interesting question that I, I saw on Letterboxd. Somebody somebody put this out there. So it's not me that, that put it this way, but it really is a profound thought. And that question is, how do you know that you are not evil? Mm-hmm. That's the question that this movie asks: Is how are do we you know the baddies? Are we the baddies? How, are yes. we the baddies? Right, exactly. Yes. How do you know that you are not evil? And and uh, because it's very easy to not know that is what this movie presupposes. Uh, and I do think that's a fascinating idea. Um, but I kind of agree a little bit with Jeff that I wish they had taken it in more interesting directions. And I also think, um, in my opinion, the ending isn't great. Like I didn't love how this movie wrapped up. Uh, and so there were a bunch of things I didn't like about this movie. I'm very mixed. I'm glad it exists. Uh, and I think it, it asks a very important question for the current time we are in. Um, but I didn't love it. I didn't love it. Didn't think it was an ingenious revelation or anything like that. I'm kind of like, yes, that, that is an important film that I admire many things about. And also, I'm not a fan of some things about, and that's kind of where I come down on the zone of interest. So, so you're of zero help in settling our dispute. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. <laughs> I, I, I do. You know, I think LA, the uh, Los Angeles Film Critic, uh, LA Film Critics Club, just named this as like one of their best films of the year. I so think I it the, I mean, it's on many. Yeah. the top award. Yeah. many yeah. lists. Yeah. So it is. Yeah. I am it in is the minority. For sure. the, the critical community is definitely on board with this film. 
Um, I'm baffled yeah, by that, but yeah. I'm a little bit more reserved on it. Um, we, but yeah, th- there was some really interesting discussion in our uh, our Slack, the, the Slack, Slack yeah. Filmcast, um, uh, and and somebody I apologize for not attributing the specific name, but somebody uh, described it as like walking through a museum, mm. and yeah. which you know is a metaphor that's made explicit by the end of the movie. But mm-hmm. um, Ro- Rolo in the chat, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Thank you uh, for finding that, uh, and thank you, Rolo. I th- I thought that was a really um, interesting way to look at it it, yeah, didn't, yeah. it didn't help me like it more but i do think it's an interesting way to contextualize the the framing of the movie indeed well it's a fascinating film there's no nothing else like it and i appreciate what jonathan glazer was trying to do in, in directing it uh but it's certainly not my my favorite jonathan glazer movie and uh, and i can also understand the perspective of people who think it is actually bad um so I'm I'm mixed on it. I'm mixed on it, but I'm glad it exists. That's the zone of interest. And that is the final movie that we've been watching this week. That's going to bring us to the end of our What We've Been Watching segment. All right, folks. Let's get to some weekly plugs. Weekly plugs, the part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. This week, uh, you know, on, on the podcast last week, uh, I talked about watching U2 at the Sphere uh, and in Las Vegas, and it was a fascinating, mind-blowing experience. And if you listened to that conversation and you thought, wow, David, I loved hearing about it, but I wish I could see what you're talking about in this <laughs> extremely visual medium that they call podcasting. Well, first of all, your expectations are miscalibrated, but secondly... Uh, you can actually see uh, by going to decodingeverything.com. I put together a very detailed video review uh, with a ton of footage I shot from inside the sphere. Uh, and uh, I, I think it looks amazing. So check it out, decodingeverything.com. If you want to see what it's like to be in the sphere watching you 2 in Las Vegas, uh, check it out. Uh, all right, Devin, your hardware, your uh, weekly plug. Oh, sure. I want to point people towards the Engadget podcast. We just celebrated our 200th episode since rebooting the show. Literally right before the pandemic. So really right before everything kicked off and uh, the world was changed completely. But we, you know, we covered a lot of stuff. So my co-host Sherlyn Lowe and I discussed some of the biggest things that happened, uh, you know, while we were running the show and also some of the great chats we had. We talked with people like Bill Nye and we had a really great interview with him. And um, yeah, just go check out that episode over at the Engadget podcast. Jeffrey Kanata, your weekly plug. I've plugged this a, a couple of times recently, but I want to mention it again because we're coming up to the uh, the uh, the most intense period of uh, gift buying for the holidays. If you're looking for ideas for interesting things that I have actually uh, found useful in my life, uh, my wife and I have built a Amazon.com storefront and peopled it with our favorite stuff. If you go to Amazon.com slash shop slash Jeff Kanata, uh, you can find a whole bunch of interesting categories of things. And uh, the reason I bring it up again, not only because of the timing for you know gift giving and, and stuff like that, uh, it's because we continue to add new things and, and change the lists around. And uh, we're trying to, uh, I- I'm really taking this seriously and trying to uh, only put stuff up there that I really, really endorse or that I've found useful in my life that really have helped myself, my family, there's stuff for my kids. There's stuff, you know, I have a special needs, uh, daughter and she, you know, stuff that has helped her with some of her sensory issues. Um, all kinds of different things, board games, 
uh, fun stuff, uh, household things that we uh, appreciate. Uh, it's been a really fun exercise, and um, I've gotten word from a number of you that have uh, found use in it, found uh, utility with this list. And so I hope you check it out, amazon.com slash shop slash Jeff Canada. Of course, we want to give a weekly plug for the podcast. You can always support us by going to patreon.com slash film podcast, sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive after darks. Um, <laughs> there's actually a really, you know, uh, there's a really fun conversation we had last week about me meeting a Bono impersonator, which by the <laughs> way, made the news. Uh, like that guy made the news recently. I wanted to talk to you guys about that on the after dark. So that'll be a, probably on this oh, one. Wow. After dark. Um, but you know, man, f- man fools, Daniel, Daniel day, Kim lookalike. <laughs> uh, eleven. Anyway, uh, we talk about all kinds of great stuff. There's a review of uh, Saltburn on there, Holdovers, Davindra's Conversation with Calvin Redvers, and uh, we got some upcoming fun stuff uh, on the After Dark this month as well. So patreon.com slash filmpodcast is where you can sign up for that. Of course, we never want you to donate. If it in any way causes you financial hardship, you can always support us by uh, sharing about the podcast. That really does help a lot. Or leaving a review at Apple Podcasts. Uh, every little bit makes a difference. Thanks to everyone who makes this podcast possible. Let's get to our review of The Boy and the Heron. Welcome to the Filmcast review of The Boy and the Heron. I'm going to read the plot summary from the internet. Mahito, a young 12-year-old boy, struggles to settle in a new town after his mother's death. However, when a talking heron informs Mahito that his mother is still alive, he enters an abandoned tower in search of her, which takes him to another world. End quote. Devinder Hardwar, I think you're the hardest core Miyazaki fan here on the podcast. Pretty this hardcore. Is, this yeah. is going to be uh, probably his final film. He hasn't made a film in like a decade or so, and it is also the number one movie at the U.S. box office this weekend. So what a Incredible. what a crowning triumph for uh, that career! Somebody who's given our culture so much creativity, um, so many memorable stories, films, characters. Uh, the Boy and the Heron, interesting movie. Weird movie in some ways. I'm curious, what did you think overall of this film? Uh, yeah, I think this is a tremendous movie. Like, it's tremendous in how it's an exploration of grief and uh, and trauma. But also, it's also like a, it, it's sort of like wrestling with what we leave behind, especially what maybe a, a supposed genius could be leaving behind to the next generation. It is kind of like every... Ghibli movie that Miyazaki has made kind of wrapped up in one because there are elements of this. Um, So many of his films are about people being transported to another realm, but also kids worried about their mothers or um, issues with their mothers and their health or their potential death is always a running theme for him. Uh, The issue of uh, World War II and kind of his own personal family guilt. Uh, The Wind Rises was true. Tremend- like fully about that basically and i think everybody was ready to just 
look at the wind rises is like that is actually the perfect way to cap off your career because you've done all this fantastical stuff here's a grounded movie that is directly wrestling with things that your family was a part of you know and his own personal guilt for basically profiting from world war ii um it is fascinating. And we should we should point yeah. out that the wind rises. Uh, I don't think had any fantastical elements, as far as I can recall. Like not there, really. There was like not dream really. sequences, right? But there was nothing like no There's magical dream world. Or the anything earthquake like that. that was depicted in that movie had like a really cartoonish look, but that mm-hmm. was it. Like that was a really yeah. grounded film. Yeah. And I, I think like people gave that a lot of credit. Like, man, look at this guy who's done all this fantastical stuff. Yeah. Can do bringing it back down to bring earth it down. now, right? But now this movie is like an interesting. This movie is of, full fantasy. Yeah. Earth. Yes. <laughs> by earth i mean listen this movie kind of has everything though like it has the beautiful fantasy uh worlds that he can create um including like using animals in ways that i i never really thought of but uh it is funny it's kind of sweet and endearing what it does too um the sort of like dream logic or the his, the logic of his narratives always takes a little getting used to as well. So if like you apply like, Oh, why is this person motivated to do this or do something like that? doesn't always work, but I do think like on a fundamental level, on an emotional level, this movie hit me really hard. Um, just in terms of like what he is discussing here. And we'll talk about some of the stuff in spoilers, but I think by the end of it, I was just kind of walloped by this movie because here's something that's essentially about a boy dealing with the death of his mother, um, going on this fantastical journey. And then it ends up being, kind of about everything it's about it's a thing that comes up in the book but it's about how you live it's about how you move on and come back to a world that is shit which is hey a thing we're all thinking about right now but it is about like trying to find the beauty among the garbage and the uh you know the awfulness of the actual world that's something we'll talk about in spoilers but yeah i i was walled by this movie I also want to point out, like, it doesn't look like any Miyazaki movie we've ever seen because for the first time, he has actually, like, let other people do stuff. And this is a guy that is notoriously um, very, like, very much, like, on... He's hands-on all the time. Like, if his underlings are not animating things the right way, he will just, like, push them aside. He has fired people. He's known for having a bad temper. Like, he just wants to do it all himself, maintain full creative control. And in this movie, from the very first scene, which um, covers, like, um, I don't know if it's a firebombing, but the uh, ho- the hospital where his uh, yeah. main character's mother works is on fire, and he is just running through the streets. It's an incredible Flyer. sequence. Yeah. And he, apparently he got someone else to yeah. help animate that sequence, right? Yeah. yeah. So he got help from a whole bunch of people. Like, I just want to shout out a couple names here. Like Takeshi Honda, who worked on the Evangelion series and movies, like is a well-known animator, um, did a lot of work in this. Uh, Toshiyuki Unoe, Inoue also um, worked with him on Kiki, uh, but also worked on Akira and a bunch of other things. So it is fascinating to see, like, after all this time, the guy that has wrestled like full creative control for himself for so long is letting go a little, which is also kind of a theme of the movie too. I think is fascinating to see. So yeah, I'm, I love this movie completely. And uh, I saw the subtitle version. I I love it so much. Like I want to see how the dub works because I just want to hear Robert Pattinson's weird uh, Heron voice. Apparently he's doing that. Like he's really taken on from, uh, from Defoe, like just weird little roles, weird little voice roles. So I kind of want to see what that sounds like. Yeah. It probably sounds like his Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it sounds like Defoe in the lighthouse, probably. Like we heard a bit from the trailer, so I, I kind of want to hear that. His Aaron sounds like this. It does. It does. <laughs> the city needs me. Okay. Jeff Kanata, 
What did you think of the boy and the heron? Well, Dave, I guess you could say what I thought of the boy and the heron is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Hmm, interesting. So gorgeous, I found myself staring. Miyazaki is beyond comparing. The techniques employed means that I enjoyed this boy and his weird little heron. <laughs> I thought you were going to do a well rope a dope and like yeah, not yeah, have yeah. a ride with heron at the yep. end. And that was see, that be was the rope a dope. That- now you think I'm all about rope a dopes, <laughs> and I clearly can't drink the one in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done, Jeff. Nicely done. Um, yes, I mean I'm I I don't disagree with anything that that Devinter said. Um, for me. The joy of this movie primarily is the visuals. It is sumptuous. I mean, every single frame, I found myself falling into the backgrounds and just staring yep. at the backgrounds, the painterly backgrounds. There's so much detail. There's a scene very early on in the movie where people are walking down a street in front of some buildings and their reflections are in the windows of the buildings. Yep. And the camera's also panning with them. So it all, you, there's like layers of animation there. It's so It's good. so stunning. This movie is gorgeous. The painterly backgrounds. Uh, I, I just, I, I couldn't help but think of all of the work that went into every frame of this movie. The movement of the characters, the, the way the, you know, <clears throat> the way the characters are depicted, the, the angles that we take, how they move through the space. It's all of a of a level that we just don't see with hand drawn animation anymore, um, and to be able to witness that level of skill moved me. I mean, it just it is. There's so much care and so much attention to detail that is taken in this movie. I am, I was agog at the artistry of it. I think for me. It, it is much more of a tone poem than anything else, a meditation, if you mm-hmm. will, um, that the individual elements didn't particularly add up to anything um, conscious, but it works kind of on a subconscious level. It, it didn't feel to me like it had as much coherence is the wrong word, but mm-hmm. It didn't have as much of a spine, perhaps. Yeah, as... you know, you, you know, I, I feel the same way, Jeff. I think I agree completely with you. I think, like, mm-hmm. I, I was trying to put a finger on, like, put my finger on what, it, how to describe it. I think, like, the storytelling feels very non-linear. Is how I would describe yes, it. it's almost it's dreamlike, like, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and 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 much more so than other Miyazaki films. So many of my favorite of his films do feel like uh, fairy tales, right? And but done in a very particular way, but fairy tales nonetheless. This does not feel like that to me. Mm. It feels much more meditative and much more, um, you know, subtle and vague and and kind of, and, and dreamlike. And that isn't to say I didn't enjoy it. I just don't think it is as direct or or. Um, I, I also struggle clearly with yeah, how to describe yeah. it, but it worked on me. I l- kind of let the movie wash over me and the visuals wash over me. Mm-hmm. And i just felt like I was enveloped by it. And there's so much, right? There's so many, like with all of his movies, so many beautiful visual 
ideas on display, right? He, he's always about this, these, these I, I, iconography images that stick with you. Um, and I will, there will be sequences from this that I will, that will be stuck in my brain forever, right? There, there are sequences that are so haunting, so beautiful, or just so sort of pure and, um, light that they strike some sort of subconscious chord, right? There, it's touching on something that's a little more primordial, mm-hmm. right? It's a little less direct and conscious and more sort of deeply felt. And I don't know many movies that are able to do that kind of thing. And I think it's a quality of the artistry on display. And yes, all of the things Devendra said are correct in that there is a textual reading of dealing with grief and and worried about your family, all that stuff. But for me, that sort of receded and more of what I was feeling was this, this sort of like being in an ocean of feelings and being in this, this thing that's kind of happening all around you. Um, it's an extremely beautiful movie. And I think an amazing achievement. I obviously he's, you know, in his eighties, he's going to be 83 in less than a month. It's wild. Yeah. I, I, it's sad to me that this may be the last, uh, of his works and I hope studio Ghibli continues on and it'll be interesting to see what it will be without him. But, um, you know, I, I, this is not the kind of artistry you get often and Mm -hmm. it will, it is really beautiful. I think I almost agree with pretty much everything Jeff said, which is that this is one of the most gorgeous animated films I've ever seen. Many of the sequences are really memorable. We already talked about the opening sequence, but I was like right away in the first five minutes, I was feeling I have never seen anything like this, anything animated like this, illustrated like this. It just feels really unique and special. And of course it's, fantastical and wild and i love the imagination it's about this boy and his goofy strange weird heron and it's like what a weird idea and i know a large portion of the story is also autobiographical for miyazaki as well and um and i do think yeah it's it's kind of one of those stories where um it reminded me of like the movies i watched when i was a kid you know like the never-ending story or or something like that. kind of these fantastical adventure movies um I think I'm probably slightly more negative on it than Jeff is. I think I found the storytelling to be um, frustrating. Non-linear is kind of, I I don't think that's even the right word, right? Like, as as you said, Jeff, I'm still searching. I think dreamlike is a good one. Dreamlike, dreamlike. We're we're basically, in in a typical narrative structure, you, you know, one event leads to the next event, right? Like, oh, something happened and it caused a thing that results in the next thing happening. And that's not really the logic that we're dealing with in this movie. Like stuff mm-hmm. kind of happens. P- characters show up because it's time for them to show up, you know? And I find that kind of thing a little frustrating personally from a narrative perspective. That's um, kind of how Alice in Wonderland works. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Another movie. I, another book that I just freaking despise. No, I'm just joking. I don't, I don't, I don't hate Alice in Wonderland, but yeah, it's very, it's very similar. It's like, has that kind of like logic. The, the Mad Hatter is here. Why? Cause that's when the Mad Hatter is here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's mm-hmm. no like, yeah, but also I don't know that people remember Alice in Wonderland because of how tightly the story is constructed. You right. know, they remember it because of all the fantastical ideas and right. creatures and so on. And I, that's how I feel about this movie is like, Agreed. Yeah. Not, not necessarily the story that I love, but it's more like, Oh, the ideas are amazing. Like, 
they're these things called the Wara Waras, I think is what they're called. They're mm-hmm. these little like these little dudes. Vulture.com had this cool article about all the all the little dudes, all the cute little dudes, yeah. all the goofy little guys in the Miyazaki yeah. movies, right? And the sweet the, little puffalumps that are always showing up. I think they actually represent souls in the movie, if I'm not yes. mistaken. You know, but it's kind of like, dark, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's super dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but you know, like, uh, what, like that's a what a cool idea, and like uh, how it shows up in the movie is really cool, and you know, and so those are the things that I'll take away, not necessarily, oh wow, I really loved the three act structure or the narratives, you know, of of this particular film. So. Uh, I appreciate it. I admire it, but I didn't like love it in the way that I love the other movies I love, you know, necessarily because it wasn't speaking to what I was hoping for from this particular film. So that's kind of my reaction to the movie. Um, any other thoughts or shall we get to spoilers for this one, guys? Um, um, I would say, I think a lot of people are seeing it in theaters, but it is definitely worth seeing on a big screen. The sound design yes. is great. The Joe Hisaishi score is yeah, fantastic. Joe, Joe, Joe like, Hisaishi, who... Uh, is a longtime collaborator with Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. This is like every now and then you hear a film score. You're like, oh, this is how they used to do it. Like this is when they. This is how they used to do it in like the good way, right? Like and, and sound yeah. design in general. I mm-hmm. think yes. you know it, with it's animation, a completely convincing world. You know, yes, yeah. with animation, of course, you often forget that every single thing you hear had to be had to be generated for that, yeah. right? Uh, and there's so much te- texture in the sound design of this movie. It's 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 extraordinary, mm-hmm. indeed. I'm, right. I'm a little disappointed that I didn't go to the IMAX to see this because I mm. feel like I wish I could have gone to the IMAX. Yeah, might be a really special experience too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, let's do a few spoilers for the Boy and the Heron, starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth. Inconceivable. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. All right. Uh, we can talk about a few of the, the more memorable sequences. You know, Jeff, you talked about some of the visuals really sticking with you. I'll just name a, a few of them. I think everything with Mahito and his mom in the dream area was incredible. Mm-hmm. Like he touches his mom and his mom, like, or his uh, stepmom yeah. starts mm-hmm. like melting. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then, and then when he's, when she kind of wakes up and is super angry and there's all these like paper, like this paper that or paper cloth, sequence is so unbelievable, unbelievably animated. Like, yes. how do you even how do, do, you do that? that? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's something you expect to see in like a, a Pixar movie in like 3D animation, but it looks 2D hand drawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for and, a lot of anime now too, like everyone is leaning on the 3D CG trend. Mm-hmm. So they make anime that is essentially like CG animated, but looks anime. And this just there, well, there is some of that. There's yeah, some, there's some of that movie. here. Yeah, but there are the like texture, some 3D backgrounds and stuff. Yeah, there's yeah. always yeah. He's been doing that for a while, but the texture of the actual hand drawn parts is just like yeah. You can't beat that. Yeah, it, it yeah. looks can't beat it. and feels I so good. I could not believe that all the part the bits of paper that are yeah. in the air and moving and twisting around. It's just like what? How many human hours did that <laughs> require? I loved how uh, his stepmother had this group of attendant women mm-hmm. that were like an organism, basically. They're, they're like, funny. They Very moved, funny. They're basically like, seven dwarves. They're seven. Right. Dwarves. They yeah, like yeah. moved, you know, in kind of concert with each other. They have Just their own like unique love design. smoking. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was really cool. Love that. Um, and then I'll just throw this out there. Uh, a lot of bird shit in the movie. I don't know if you guys <laughs> the bird shit. The bird shit like, has a point. Like at the at the end of the yeah the the bird shit has a point. So at the yes. very end end of the film, oh I, I'll share my interpretation, but mm-hmm, I want to hear Demetrius mm-hmm. right. 
at the end of the film, uh, they escape the dream world, right? And all these birds fly out of the world. And all then the parakeet the parakeets become parakeets. They, they, yeah. they become parakeets. They're, they're yeah. like large, threatening humanoid creatures in the dream world. But when they enter the real world, they the lose veggies. their powers yeah. and they become little parakeets. And as Mahito and his stepmother emerge, all these parakeets are flying out and they are just being covered in bird shit, right? Another sequence and, where the animation is just mm-hmm. mind-boggling. The, mm-hmm. yeah. All the parakeets on top of each other in this mosh pit of parakeets. My, I guess my interpretation of, like, it takes time to add bird shit to animated films. Like, it, you need to, somebody <laughs> it needs has to, to draw, be there for a reason. Someone yeah. needs to draw the bird shit. So I assumed that it was there to show kind of what where the level of their relationship and affection was at, that they didn't even care about the bird shit. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, all they care about is each other in that moment. And that's what the, that's, what's important. Like, it doesn't matter that I'm covered in shit. It, you know, it's the fact that we're together and safe is what's most important. Devendra, what, does that resonate with you? I yeah. mean, I, I feel like that's pretty much it. It's also like very much the, the dream world is not covered in bird shit, even though they're all bird people. Right. So like, as soon as you hit the real world, the reality of the situation is the mm. uh, birds, you know, they don't use the bathrooms. Uh, this is just like the the state of the world. You have the beauty of the birds, but also the reality of like they shit everywhere because that's what they do when birds fly. Um, Carlos Aguilar over at Inverse wrote a really good piece about that, basically about the idea that yeah, a lot of Miyazaki stuff um, is about like coming back to the real world uh, away from these fantasy worlds. Mm. And the birch is very much like, yeah, this is this is what I choose. Instead of this potent, I could have been god of a dream world and create whatever I want in it. But he chose to come back to save his um his stepmother to s- live with his baby sibling, like whoever that's going to be, and start this back new in life the with shit. Father, back in the shit. That's life, baby. Yeah, I, I also think it's 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 a pretty good gag. It's fine. Right? Like it's just hilarious. on a <laughs> on a fundamental sort of gag level, it's like we just showed you a bunch of birds. This what, this birds what it do. would be, you know? Yeah. We have, my wife used to have a bird and it was just awful because it was, <laughs> if you let it fly around the house, it'll just shit everywhere. That's what they do. <laughs> yeah. But, Ugh. but I think like reading it as a metaphor from Miyazaki's career, right? It, it, the idea is that the dream world, I guess, is the world that Miyazaki could just live in. He could just, yeah. mm-hmm. he could live in his own fantasy, but he chooses to live in his, the real world and share his creativity with us and all the sacrifices and pain that that entails. That's right. Is that kind of a, a way I, to read I, it? I as feel metaphor? like that's part of it. I mean, you could also read the fantasy world as being Ghibli itself to like who once if he once he passes away, like I don't know what's going to happen to the studio is mm-hmm. the thing. Like a lot of the other work, um, the other great author, the other great director whose name I'm forgetting right now um, uh, passed away as well. So Ghibli has like Miyazaki's son to take over the mantle. And um, I eviscerated his last movie because the kid He's not a kid. He's a full grown man who is living in like a genius's shadow. And I feel really bad for him, but like his stuff hasn't been good. I don't know if there's other, there are other underlings at Ghibli that can really like keep the level of imagination alive, but I don't know. You could I read think it you're that thinking way. Of Isao Takahata, right? Takahata. Uh, yeah. yeah. Takahata is like the, he has done a ton of great films as well. A very different level than Miyazaki um totally and everything Gra- but grave of the fireflies yeah, and, yeah. yeah um feel like, like that, yeah. yeah one of those movies you see it once and you will remember it forever yeah um but i don't uh, ghibli just does not, does not have the talent moving forward or at least a singular talent can they survive as a as a studio as a group or find a new leader or something i don't know so there's a lot yeah. of stuff you can read into the great uncle thing 
Yeah, yeah. Any other sequences or moments you guys uh, feel like worth talking about? I think we should certainly bring up the fact that they encounter a old, gray, mm-hmm. bushy-eyed, eyebrowed <laughs> uh, uh, creator. With I a mean, beard. It's hard yeah. not to see that as him inserting himself mm, into the yeah. into the text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's it. And his, his whole thing is what... Who's gonna, I can't do this forever, right? Who's yeah. going to take over? Who's going to take I, over for me? Yeah. yeah. And the solution not my son. is... The Have solution you seen is, these movies? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> They're real <laughs> bad. They're real bad. Have you... <laughs> go. Go see... Uh, uh, what is it? Mary and the Witch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure... Yeah. I'm sure he doesn't feel that way about it, Devendra, as you, but, you know... <laughs> I'm sure. It's you're, okay. You're it's okay. Your, you can, you can joke. Opinion. And maybe but, when you see that movie, you will join me on this on this <laughs> quest. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, I guess, you know, what happens with that character is he presents it to Mahito, right? He says, hey, I need someone to take over for me. And Mahito says, not interested. Right? No, thank like, you. Can't, no, thank you. I got other stuff I got to do. Yeah. Right? And and then the world collapses. That's that's kind of what happens. So, it, read that way, um, he doesn't have a very positive... Uh, Optimistic view uh, viewpoint outlook on where the studio is going after his his. I don't I don't know. Like he is also like as a person does not have a very optimistic worldview. He kind of like (laughs) makes these stories, yeah, uh, to kind of deliver messages to kids and you know try to communicate something. But as a person, he's kind of misanthropic too. It's it's kind of the thing. The movie I was thinking, by the way, was Earwig and the Witch, and you can read my my review at Engagement. Goddamn, I wanted to. I want to give a shout out to the heron's design. I thought it was like a kind of cool. Mm-hmm. There's like a little guy sticking out of his throat, and <laughs> it's then disturbing. And then when he like goes back in, like the heron kind of like swallows him and yeah, becomes yeah. like he's a like normal. okay, this is regular heron yeah, shit so again. Yeah, I, I kind of appreciated that as well. I thought that was kind of a cool. You could feel like cool at detail. times maybe animated by different people too. Like their mm-hmm. yeah, characters yeah, yeah, yeah. don't always look the same. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. interesting. I that was interesting. Um, yeah. Also, the opening sequence with the fire. I was shocked. Like a lot of the people on the streets are just like shadows, like mm-hmm. shadows, yeah. like the distorted shadows. Like that is, we have not really seen that imagery in a Ghibli movie, certainly not in a Miyazaki movie. So a lot of the characters who don't look like Miyazaki characters, like they look more like characters from Evangelion or other shows. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe he can keep, if he lets other people do more, maybe he can still keep creating if he doesn't have to do everything himself. Cause this movie took forever to make. He basically started right after they released the wind rises. Wind rises and that yeah. was like 13 years ago or a while. I ago. believe it, man. The effort yeah. is on the screen. You yeah. Know? I want to uh, ask one last question. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. I was going to ask, I mean, this might be the same question, but I was going to ask you guys what you thought of the, the final shot of the movie, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was so powerful. Uh, the, and describe the lead- final shot for those who, uh, the, don't remember. the boy uh, basically just walks out the door and leaves an empty room. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was really powerful. And if it's the last statement from this artist on the big screen, I think yeah. it's a, it's kind of a, a beautiful one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like it doesn't even feel like a big moment. It's just very abrupt, right? His yeah. family is like, they're downstairs they're waiting to go. He says, I'm coming closes the door, leave cut to credits like we don't even really linger in the room that much but yeah it is fascinating i I like the way it ended you know i thought it was a nice nice ending i i I will say there is a moment in the movie what i was going to bring up jeff was there's a moment in the movie where he starts calling his stepmom mother Mm -hmm. which i think is like supposed to be like the emotional climax of the movie and i didn't quite get there myself like i i I was like I. I, i want to feel this moment i want to feel like 
wow, what an amazing moment. And the animation is there. Like the, yeah. the way it's, you know, drawn and illustrated and animated is there. But I felt narratively, I didn't get to that point where I, I, yeah, I had agree. that. Yeah, had that I agree. Catharsis. I, yeah. I don't think that really, usually that's the kind of thing that mm -hmm. I would come out feeling really negatively about a movie for. Right, right. But for some reason, I, I, I didn't. Uh, this movie, because, like I said, because it was sort of like washing over me on a number of different levels, I wasn't mm -hmm. there emotionally, just like you described, but I still like understood the gravity of, of that transition for him. And I, I was still sort of on the wavelength of the movie, yeah, so to yeah. speak, you know? I just yeah, wasn't a, emotionally invested. Yeah, intellectually, yeah. I was like, oh, yes, that's a powerful moment. But like emotionally, exactly. I didn't look at yeah. Devendra, how about you? What'd you Watching some of his stuff, like you really do have to let it wash over you because it's easy to nitpick. It's easy to be like, oh, this doesn't really like uh, connect together, I guess. But um, for me, it was like the moments of like, uh, who is it? The character Himmy, um, who is essentially his mother when she when she is younger. And she just has a realization at the end. It's like, oh, I'm going to have you someday. You seem pretty cool. That's kind of sweet. And they have a big hug. And that really, I found that to be pretty moving, even if it was a little abrupt. So all that stuff, I like those big emotional beats, I, they still hit for me, even if um, they're not like fully, didn't fully register emotionally at times. Um, also, all the parakeet stuff, just like the full on, well, we're going to have a whole society of life-size parakeets and they're going to want to eat people. <laughs> eat, and, eat people, yeah. <laughs> and they have swords and they look uh, they look amazing. They're kind of funny at times too. Like the whole sequence of them knocking out one parakeet after another. Yeah. Just, just, just so good. So good. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, at the end of the day, it's really impressive that Miyazaki made a lot of really great movies, uh, of which this is one. And I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McCune from The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper and weekly, weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross, who also edited this episode. Next week, got an interesting one for y'all. We got two things coming out next week, okay? We got a Godzilla minus one as our main review. A few people have requested this. It's doing well at the box office. We are going to be reviewing this instead of Wonka. I know so many people are like, what do you guys think Wonka? Wonka. People are Wonka. 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 But no, it, it, it falls on our ears that don't hear it, unfortunately. We don't, we're... We hear the scream of Godzilla instead. That's what we're hearing. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, the thing is that Dave stood on the scale and he's like, I want the Godzilla minus one now, daddy. And so that's what we had to... Uh... Yes. Here's here are the facts. The, the streets are extended gutters, and the gutters are full of blood. And when the drains finally scab over, all the vermin will drown. The accumulated filth of all their sex and murder will foam up about their waist, and all the whores and politicians will look up and shout, Wonka. <laughs> and I'll look down and whisper, no. <laughs> So well, no. <laughs> no. Rest assured, folks. I'm seeing Wonka tonight, and I will talk about it in the what we've been watching section. So, so no Wonka next week on the podcast, but we will be covering Godzilla minus one, and then also I just uh, said we there will be Wonka on the podcast. There will yeah, be yeah, some there, Wonka. There will be some Wonka or Sonka, <laughs> as they call it, I believe. Um, but uh, we will be covering uh, Godzilla minus one as our main review, and also uh, we got an after dark that we will be putting on the main feed. Some delay after the regular feed, uh, after the Patreon feed, uh, but we will be discussing American fiction, Core Jefferson's new movie as well. Um, that'll be the After Dark for next week. So uh, a lot of great stuff coming out in the main feed and the After Dark 
this month here on the Filmcast. Huge thanks to everyone at patreon.com slash filmpodcast who makes the show possible. Next week, see you later for Sonka, Godzilla Minus One, <laughs> American Fiction. Goodbye. <laughs>